The Wealthy Son of the Tile Guy. Make sure you know what you're retiring to. Welcome to the 11th edition of The Wealth Letters, a collection of lessons and stories by people from all walks of life on the pursuit of wealth, wisdom, and meaning. If you haven't done so, please read or listen to the manifesto before diving into the collection as it will give a clear vision of the project, the who, what, and why. Mark McGrath, a financial and wealth advisor of over 10 years, shares a tragic story about his father and the important lessons we all can take from his story. The following is an open letter Mark wrote to his readers and clients. He almost did not write this letter and started and trashed this letter multiple times. However, Mark truly felt that his father's story needed to be shared. Please note that this letter does not have a happy ending. I challenge you to listen to this letter as if it's being spoken to you personally. Be willing to be vulnerable and open your mind to ideas and suggestions that have proven worthwhile in another's journey. Do not blindly accept any and all advice given, but rather take in the information and distill it down to if and how it can be applied to you and your unique self. Michael Jordan said that he imitated Dr. J. Kobe Bryant said he studied and imitated Jordan, but they mixed in their own uniqueness. While not everything will relate directly to one's current situation at the exact moment, there may be some gems that will be worthwhile in time. And here is Mark's letter. Make sure you know what you're retiring to. This was a hard post to write. I almost didn't write it, in fact. I've started and trashed this story so many times. But I believe there are important lessons in this story we can learn from. Warning, this does not have a happy ending. This is a story about my dad. My dad grew up the youngest of four siblings in Quebec. He, his siblings, and my grandparents moved to Vancouver in the 70s, and my uncle opened a tile store. My dad worked for him for a while, then eventually opened his own store. He was a relentless entrepreneur and a good father. He was shrewd and pennywise. I used to joke that he would split two-ply toilet paper to save money, but he was also a savvy investor and he did well in his business. He didn't care about tile and saw the business as a means to an end, a way to build wealth and retire. He was laser focused on this goal. He was fit, active, and a traveler. He was a scratch golfer and swam 80 laps at the pool three times a week. He was also a black belt in karate and extremely disciplined. Like many French Canadians, he loved steak and beer, but anytime he found himself getting soft, he would just switch that off. He would diet and quit drinking for a month or so until he got his six-pack abs back. I didn't realize as a kid how impressive that was. He used to read books on longevity and admired the lifestyle of the people of Okinawa. Okinawa has some of the highest life expectancies on earth and is home to one of the greatest concentrations of centenarians. He planned to live a long, long time. My brother and I had a great childhood. We played sports, went camping, and took family vacations. I played high-level baseball, and my brother played high-level hockey, and our parents never missed a single game. We lived in a nice house and had everything we needed. My dad was private, and we never really knew his financial situation. Growing up, we would ask him if we were rich, to which he always said, no, but we have enough. Eventually, my parents split up, but they remained close and lived in the same neighborhood. One day, he told us he had sold his business and was retiring. We were thrilled. All he wanted to do was retire 
so he could keep traveling, golfing, swimming, and enjoying his life. He booked a two-month trip to Asia to celebrate. He was 58. And then it all went downhill. Within a month of returning from his trip, he was back working for the guys he sold his store to. He didn't need the money. He just missed his store and his friends. His best friend was his first employee, a man he had hired 30 years earlier. This worked out for a while, but slowly he started to change. After a few months of golfing near daily, he got bored. And then he got depressed. He changed. One day he said he didn't like steak anymore. This man had eaten steak three times a week for over 40 years. Something was up. He called me one day from the UBC psychiatric ward. He told me he was having dark, intrusive thoughts and thought he should get checked in. I didn't realize how serious this was, but I noted that he had the wherewithal to realize it and seek help immediately. I went to see him, and he made friends with half the patients in the ward. As he walked the halls, he greeted the patients and told me about their stories. He told me that night he had made a mistake by going there, that he didn't belong there. They gave him antidepressants, and he checked himself out. He seemed better until a few days later. We were scheduled for dinner at my mom's house, but he didn't show. This was not like him. After about 30 minutes, my mom panicked and said, something is wrong. We called the police, and they came by about an hour later. In mid-sentence, the officer got a report about a car accident in his earpiece. The vehicle involved fit the description of my mom's car, which he had borrowed. He looked at us and said, your dad is alive, but... We rushed to the hospital. All we knew was that he was alive. We had no idea what the extent of his injuries were. When we got there, there wasn't a scratch on him. The paramedics told us they needed the jaws of life to pry him from the wreckage. It was a miracle. But something was nagging at me. My dad was an exceptional driver, and the crash location was a J-curve intersection he drove through twice daily on his commute for over 20 years. I called his best friend to get his take. His best friend told me that my dad had called him right before the accident. He told him he had stashed his wallet and ID under a garbage can in a parkade on the other side of town. A parkade he had no business being at. To this day, I still don't know why he did that. My only guess is that he crashed that car intentionally. He went 100 kilometers an hour through a red light straight into the J-curve. He rolled it three times. I think he didn't want his ID on him because he didn't want to be identified immediately. But he was wearing his seatbelt. Over the next few weeks, he was overcome with the fear that he would be arrested and put in jail because of the accident. We tried to explain that no crime was committed and that no one was hurt. But he was adamant. This fear paralyzed him. Then, one day, I was on the Sky Train on my way back from home from work. My dad called and said he had a fight with my mom and he was going to grab a hotel. I told him to come and stay at my place for the night, but he didn't want to bother me. That was the last time I spoke with him. That night, on a foggy Thursday in October, I was awoken by a phone call from a private number. I ignored it, and they called back. It was the police, and they told me my mom was upset and that I needed to drive the 40 minutes in the middle of the night to see her. I told them if I was driving across town in the middle of the night, I wanted to know why. He was hesitant, but I was persistent. Then he told me, your father is dead. I collapsed and remember only that I kept saying I had so much more to tell him. He had rented a car for some reason, drove it to the middle of the Lionsgate Bridge in Vancouver, turned on the hazard lights and got out. Then he jumped. Two cyclists, one on the bridge and one down below on the seawall, called it in. Why am I telling you all this? 
selfishly because it's been almost a decade and I'm not sure I've really had an outlet until now, but also because I think I know what happened and I think people can learn from it. What I think happened is that my dad's business became his identity. He was the tile guy. He was the guy that sponsored all of our sports teams. In a booming town, he was the guy you went to when you needed tile. He was the tile guy. And when he sold his business, he stripped himself of his identity. Now he was a nobody. He lost his purpose, the very thing that made him who he was. Whether he knew it or not, I think he loved the business because it gave him a sense of fulfillment. He didn't know he'd miss. By losing his purpose, he lost his essence, his spirit, the thing that gave him his joie de vivre. He had surmounted his biggest challenge and achieved his singular goal, and there was nothing on the other side. And remember, this was a guy who had lots of friends, social activities, sports, and hobbies, and still, retirement undid him in less than 18 months. Humans require a purpose, and if that purpose is linked to your business, be careful leaving it behind. As a financial planner, I didn't get any training in this. We learn about the financial side of retirement, but not enough about its emotional and psychological aspects, about how our identities can be intertwined with our careers and our businesses. So when you think about retirement, think about what you're retiring to. Focus on your relationships, mental health, community, and purpose, and spend time before you retire on finding a path to fulfillment. My takeaways from Mark's story. Just wanted to say thank you to Mark for being so vulnerable and willing to share this story about his father. It hits home for me being that I am a business owner and have had some of the same thoughts as his father had, especially on working diligently now and saving aggressively to be able to enjoy future retirement. This is a worthy goal on its own, of course, but at what cost if I'm missing out on the present, missing out on the now with my two baby girls, my wife, my family, and my close friends? If your job defines you, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing in and of itself. But as Mark made clear, we must be aware that we need to lay the groundwork in other areas of focus beyond just our occupation, relationships, mental health, community, and purpose. Why? Because when we are no longer in our careers, what will be our fulfillment and our purpose? We come back to the simple yet most difficult and defining question we all face. Why am I here? And what is the purpose of my time here on earth? This question is one that each one of us need to answer on our own. And I believe is a question we must diligently pursue the answer to. Because at the end of the day, what is the point of all this? What is the point of our life? You can connect with Mark. Mark's email is mark at sweeneybride.com. You can also reach him uh, at their website, which is linked here. And he also has a Twitter account where he posts regularly regularly his insights, which is also linked here as well. Thank you for your support. Thank you for taking the time to listen or read this edition of the Wealth Letters today. In order for this project to succeed and have the greatest reach, I do need your help. The easiest way is for you to just share this project with your friends and family or, or someone you feel could benefit. You also can help by sharing your lessons or story to be featured in the Wealth Letters. And maybe you know someone that their story could be featured here too. By all means, be willing to share your story or share others. Your ideas and feedback are always welcome. You can reach out by email, support at thewealthletters.com, or by commenting on this post. I look forward to hearing from you.